Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and show us just what you want us to understand from this section. And we just thank you for your care and love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Job chapter 24. Job is continuing to speak in this section in response to Eliphaz. Remember a couple chapters ago, Eliphaz had said, God is not impressed with our, our work of man's works, which is a true statement. He's not impressed with our works. He goes, and then he goes, Job, you're evil. <laughs> in a very poetic, long-winded speech, which was incorrect. And he goes, God is too big to care about man, which is incorrect. And this is the problem that we find in, in the book of Job. We've got to be very careful when we read the book of Job that we're understanding the correct things doctrinally and the incorrect things doctrinally and the partially correct things uh, doctrinally. Eliphaz's argument was very strong. God's not impressed with our, our works as human beings. The rest of his arguments were a bunch of false, false talk, talk. And so now we're continuing with Job's answer to this in verse 1 of tw chapter 24. Why seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? Some remove the landmarks, they violently take away the flocks and feed, and feed thereof. They drive away the ass of the fatherless, and they take the widow's ox for a pledge. They turn the needy out of the way, the poor of the earth hide themselves together. Behold, as wild asses in the desert, they go forth to their, to their work. Rise in between betimes for a prey, the wilderness, for a prey the wilderness yields food for them and for their children. They reap everyone his corn in the field, and they gather vintage of the wicked. They cause the naked to lodge without clothing, and they have no covering in the cold. They are wet with the snow, with the showers of the mountains, and embrace the rock for want of shelter. They pluck the fatherless from the breast and take the pledge of the, of the poor. They cause him to go naked without clothing, and they take away the sheep from, from the hungry, which make oil within their walls and tread their wine presses and suffer thirst. Men groan out, I'm going to stop at 11, there's a lot there. <laughs> All right, so Job is making his complaint. He's saying, you know, remember, he's been told that God doesn't really care about what's going on with man, that, that God does not care about the works of man. This is Job's defense. Job really didn't spend a lot of time defending, you know, Job, you're evil. He's done that and done that and done that. He didn't spend a lot of time on that because why seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? And what he's saying is, don't people know that God sees? <laughs> don't, you, don't you know that there's nothing hidden from God and the Almighty sees everything going on? So he's talking about the omnipresence of God and the all-knowingness of God. And he's bringing this statement up. And it says, some remove the landmarks. They violently take away flocks and feed thereof. And the landmarks in this case are literally what they were. They would put their posts out to mark their, their edges of the land, just as we do sometimes out in the, you know, we fence things in. Or, you know, your, your land goes to that tree, and then it goes over to that brook, and then it comes back. Those are your landmarks. Well, they were in the middle of a desert. There's not a lot of trees not a lot of landmarks, so they would put what they would call the landmarks. They would put a tower of bricks <laughs> up someplace and say, my land goes all the way to that tower of bricks over there. And it goes over there to that tower of bricks. And people, it, if they wanted to steal the land, they would slowly start moving the landmarks closer and closer to their home. And in the middle of the night, they'd go out and they'd move the big, they'd move the big, the big uh, stones and landmarks and move them in two or three feet. Then wait a couple weeks, move them in two or three feet. And, you know, and you're going, boy, my land seems to be getting smaller, but my landmark's right there. And before long, it landmark's sitting on your house. <laughs> uh, and he says they, they remove the landmarks. In this case, he's actually saying they totally take them away. They don't even just move them. They are removing them, getting rid of them. And it says they violently take or plunder the, the, the flocks and feed thereof. So he's talking about some very evil people. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun at all. Um, 
but you know, they move the landmarks, uh, remove them, take of the flock. And so he's talking about some very evil people. And he goes, don't, they, don't these people that are evil know that God sees? And sometimes I wonder the same thing as I'm, I'm watching the, the world and the sins that they commit. I'm going, don't they understand that God knows? And the answer is no, they don't. Job, Job's living at a time that's much closer to God and, and what's going on. He can't picture people not understanding this because he's only you know, a couple hundred years away from the flood. You know, maybe a, no more than a thousand years away from the flood. So he's like, don't they understand? Don't they know? Don't they even remember? And I've said this many times. I'm surprised how quickly people forget anything. You know, much less God and his rules and everything, but how quickly people forget God's righteousness and his all-knowing. And our country, just a few hundred years old, totally has forgotten God and has moved completely away from God and driving the people into deeper and deeper sins because they approve. And there are so many people that believe that as long as it's okay... With people, it's okay with God. And they don't realize that God's standards don't change. And, you know, I listened the other day to somebody talking, you know, and they were talking about how truth is truth only if others believe it. And I'm going, that's dumb. What a dumb statement because that doesn't match up. Truth is truth no matter whether anybody believes it. All right? The average non-educated person in the Middle Ages thought the world was flat. The fact that they thought it was flat, and the majority of the people thought it was flat, did not make it flat. You know, the educated people knew that it was flat, uh, was round, and they knew how large it was because they knew mathematics and they knew, they knew all that stuff. But the average person who wasn't educated didn't, who thought it was flat, but it didn't matter. It still wasn't flat. Uh, and this is the key to all of our understanding. If we stand with God, we're going to be right. And that is the key on this. If we stand with God, no matter what the rest of the country says, no matter what the rest of the world says, we stand with God and we'll be right. Now we just want to make sure we're standing with God. But we need to understand when he calls things a sin, they are sin. When he calls adultery sin, fornication sin, homosexuality sin, transgenderism sin, the murder a sin, they are sins no matter how many other people say they're okay. And that's where we are in our world today, where it is politically incorrect and morally incorrect by their standards to say that all these things are sin and will be considered judgmental and, and intolerant and all those other wonderful words they use against us for saying those kind of things. But God did not change his mind. He has not changed his mind on any of these things. Verse 3 says, they drive away the ass of the fatherless and they take the widow's ox for a pledge. So what are they doing? The ox and the ass were used to plow fields, harvest. He says, from the orphans and the widows, they're taking their mean, what little means they have of earning an income or earning, you know, taking care of their fields. They are taking away that. It would be like taking away the car of a person who's desperately trying to find work and saying, sorry, you lose your car. Uh, you know, you used it as a pledge and all these people with the title loans and everything, they have no problem taking away your car if you don't make your payments. All right? Uh, and so this is the type of talk that he's making. The, the donkey from the orphans, the, the ox from the widow, those things that give them their substance. The ox may have even been a milking type of ox where they would lose that as well as the possibility of plowing and, and all that. So he says these people are so bad that they're going to take the very substance from the orphans and the widows. The weakest of the weak, which God cares for tremendously. He tells us our job is to take care of the widows and the orphans. And Job is saying, these type of people are going after the weakest. And all through the Pentateuch, God talks about most, many of his rules were designed to take care of orphans and widows and all the others that needed help. God has always cared for the weak and worked into their, their protection. And through our sin nature, we want to take advantage of everybody. 
And it is true that we, we, our first thing is, who do we think of first in most cases? Ourself. And that doesn't matter who we have to hurt, who we have to harm. Our first thought is, let me take care of myself. Or let me take care of me, myself, and I, three of us. <laughs> you know, and then I'll think about others. <laughs> and this is why, you know, we are actually told that the real way that we are to live, like Jesus talked about, is we make God first, then we help others, and then we take care of ourselves. And that's where joy comes into because, and I've said this many times, if we all live that way, especially as Christians, if we all live taking care of God first, and then others, and you know, especially in a church situation, if, we, if all the church members took care of the other church members, we'd have a lot of people take care, taking care of us, and we would not have any needs to have to be taken care of because we'd be taken care of by every single person in the church. Now, I know that's a utopia dream, and, 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 but that is the way it's supposed to be. And, but if, what if only three or four people in the church did that? There would still be three or four people helping others, and you wouldn't have to be worrying about yourself. And this is why it's important for us to put God first and then help others. Now, that doesn't mean ignore ourselves and ignore our needs, but it, it means putting others and saying, what can I do to help them? And this is important. He says, these evil people that don't understand that God is watching them take advantage of the weak. They turn the needy out of the way and the poor of the earth hide themselves together. They turn or um, extend it. Actually, the word here means they stretch them. <laughs> All right. They stretch the needy out of the way, out of the roadway, out of the, out of the path. And the poor of the earth hide themselves or are forced into hiding. Not just they hide themselves, but they're forced into hiding. Okay? And we've seen this if you watch any kind of history movies about uh, dictators and everything, that the poor and everything will go into hiding because they don't want to be arrested. And that's the type of picture that it is. They're, they're out there. They're, they're in bondage to these people that have, out of, the, out of their kindness of their heart helped them with a great, great interest rate. <laughs> All right. Um, and praying on the, the weak, praying on the ones who could least afford it. And this is very important that we understand there are so many things that are done in this world that prey on the gullible and the weak and such as lotteries and gambling. Let me go out and gamble. I need, I need money tonight, so I'm going to take my $5 that I have and see if I can turn it into $5,000. And you go back $5 poor. Now, yes, occasionally somebody wins, but they just won your money and the other people that couldn't afford to, to lose the money, and that's what they win. So it's very important that we understand all of this is preying on people. Praying on the desperate people, and this is what he's talking about. They turn the poor out of their way, and then the poor are hiding. Behold, as wild asses in the desert, they go forth to their work, rising between betimes for a prey in the wilderness, yielding, yielding food for them and for their children. Going out as the wild donkeys in, in the desert. The wild donkeys don't care about anything. They don't work. You cannot harness them. You cannot ride them. They are wild. <laughs> All right, and they go forth to their work, and it's kind of interesting because he puts wild donkeys and work together. Wild donkeys don't work; they don't let you get anywhere near them. If you do manage to hook them, you know, lasso them and try to ride them, you're not you're not going anywhere. They're not going to do anything. If you hook them up to your cart or your or your plow, they're not going to do anything. And and so he's tying them to works, which means no work is being done. As wild donkeys, so are they that go to work. All right? So he's bringing in a simile. And I have seen people go to work and not do any work. I have had employees that I have gone up to and say, you know, if you, and I've literally told them, I go, you know, if you put as much effort into doing your work as you do not doing your work, you'd have been done a long time ago. Uh, and I have seen people work harder at not working than they would have if they had worked. And this is what this kind of statement is. As wild donkeys, which don't work, so are they that go to their, their work. All right? Uh, rising 
or seeking early for a prey in the wilderness that would yield food for them and for their children. So these people who don't want to work are looking for easy, easy street. And it is very much our world today. We've got a number of people that don't want to do anything but want to be paid top dollars for not doing anything. And I read articles all the time about these people that, well, I'm not going to work a minute longer than, I, than they're paying me, than, than they're asking me to work. And, and if I don't like this job, I'm quitting. And if they say the wrong thing to me, I'm quitting. You know, I don't care if I have another job or not, I'm quitting. <laughs> you know, just because what I like is most important. It's so interesting. The Bible talks about these people. It's so interesting that everything about that is there and it's not new. You know, it, we, have, we are coming and the pendulum swings both ways. We've come out of an era of people working hard. And maybe we went too far in our, in our day of working and put too much devotion into work. But I think we're going way too far the other direction and saying too, too little about work. And part of it is because they've had life too easy. In this generation, they really had life too easy. And most of, the, most of us have not had a real suffering since about World War, World War II. Yeah, there was some craziness in the 60s with the, with the uh, hard times, but no real strong, hard, hard things. You know, and we have been having a constant moving up of the, of the standard of living in America anyway. And now we're starting to see that there's a cost to that standard of living. And we're going to see it fall apart. Our country is falling apart at the seams because of the cost of the standard of living climbing the way it has. And again, nothing new under the sun. It's happened many times over the years. The Roman Empire fell for that reason. The Greek Empire fell for that reason. The Egyptian Empire fell for that reason. The Babylonian Empire fell for that reason. You know, if you, when we're reading scripture, the Babylonian Empire fell while they were having a party while the enemy was surrounding the building because they were so sure that they could not be conquered that they were having a party the night they fell. All the leaders and generals were getting drunk when their city fell. And it's not unusual in history to see that kind of process going on. And here's the same thing being said. These people go out, they're looking for nothing, they're... They're like wild donkeys. They don't do any work and they are looking for their food and their clothing. Verse 6 says, They reap everyone his corn in the field and they gather the vintage of the wicked. So here they are basically saying they reap of, uh, his corn, but they gather it or reap it in the vintage of the wicked. They're taking it the wrong way. And I see this happening in our country and our world where people are literally, you know, and I see it even where I work. You know, there's many people in my department that will do as little as they can to draw their checks. And if you ask them to earn their check, they get upset with you. Uh, just the way it is. And it's like, I've had, I've had some people go, well, why did they tell you to do that? You know, and I look at them and go, you know, it's never in, never in my wildest imagination have I thought about questioning my bosses on why something is being done when it's legal. Now, I will question them if it's illegal. But when it's legal, I have never in my wildest imagination thought about questioning my bosses about why I'm doing something that's legal when they're paying me my paycheck. Just nothing in my mind that drew, draws that conclusion because I've got one guy at the job. Why do they do that? Why are they saying that? I go, just do what you're told. <laughs> it's not illegal. It's not against the rules. Just do what you're told. <laughs> but this is the standard that they're looking at. You know, I'm reading this. I'm going, wow, you know, I'm dealing with this every single day. <laughs> uh, they cause the naked to lodge without clothing and they that have no covering in the cold they have no mercy and care. All right? They do not care for anybody. If they're naked, they don't care. Go, go hang out. You know, if you're, uh, you know, you don't have a covering to, you know, in the cold weather, I don't care. You don't have a blanket, don't care. And this is a sad thing. And it is hard sometimes when everybody almost deserves not to have anything to even care, and I understand that. It's hard. 
But that's also judgmental because I don't know what somebody who's out there is hurting or not or why they're hurting. Now, if I know them and I know that that's who they are, then, then I'm not going to be that, that caring. But, you know, there's so many people out there that I don't know why they're where they're at. And ultimately, does it really matter? And the answer is probably no. Doesn't matter why somebody is suffering. The fact that they are suffering needs to be drawn, have that attention to them. The, the person who is homeless because they got into drugs or alcohol, you know, yes, the consequence of their sin is that they're now homeless and don't have anything. But does that mean we're not to care for them? No, it means that we're still to care for them. We need to help the symptom, uh, the, the, the core, the root of this, and not just that they're homeless, we need to get to the, this is what we need to do to help you not get back there again. And that's a really hard thing to do sometimes. And here he says, you know, these people are out there. He goes, they are wet with the showers of the mountain. They embrace the rock for want of shelter. And here again, he's talking about the homeless. All right? They're drenched by the rains. And they embrace the rock for want of shelter. And it's, you know, this is a thing if you've studied even in kind of... Uh, Survival, if you're in the middle of nowhere, it says get against the face of the mountain and at least have some protection on one side. <laughs> this is what he's talking about. These people have nothing. So much nothing, they don't even have a lean-to. They are literally just hover, hunkered up against the side of the mountain, hoping that there's enough shelter for the rain, that they might have a little bit of warmth. Job is talking about people that are suffering some great pain. And he's always cared for them. And he's looking at it, his, his friends that are helping him. You know, and they're saying, it's all your fault. And he's going, do you have no comfort? Do you have no compassion for what's going on? He goes, and at one point in there, he says, you know, whether I believe they deserved it or not, I would have at least had compassion on them to take care of them. You know, it doesn't matter. And this is why I've had many people tell me, you know, how do you handle all these panhandlers? How do you have, you know, do this? Now, where the place that I was talking about where I got this most was I lived in the same neighborhood. I go, well, it's easy for me because I know a lot of these guys and I know some of them are just panhandlers and I know some of them are in need. The ones that are in need, I may, you know, I may be able to help. The ones that I know are not in need, you know, I won't help. And they go, well, how do we deal? I'm going, you listen to God. And if you give, the wrong, give it to the wrong people, God's still going to honor your heart of compassion and bless you for that. And how they use it is up to them. And that's true of even today. You know, I don't know all these panhandlers. If God says, if I feel God saying, help this person and I help them and they use it incorrectly, they answer to God, not me. God will bless me for, for being generous even though it wasn't... Now, if I know darn well they don't need it and I give to them, then, then I was just being foolish. But if I don't know them and I guess, oh, well, here, you can have it. I'm just going to be blessed for the generosity. They will have to answer to God for their activity. And we've got to really start understanding that it doesn't matter what others do. God is looking at our heart. Are we willing to help? Are we willing to do something when God puts the need in front of us? Now, I understand when you're on every single corner having a panhandler, you can't hand out money to every single person. You probably couldn't even hand out water and food to every single person on every single corner. But, you know, that's not for us to determine. If God says, help them, you help them. And what they do with it is up to them. Now, I'm not a big fan of giving anybody money because I don't want to see it being used wrong. In the church, we will never give out money. We may write a check to the company that they're owing if need be. We will help with certain things. We help with the food a lot for people. But we're not going to just hand people cash because that would be foolish because that would get you everybody and their brother out there you know, coming to you. But we will help with true needs if we can. And we're a small church, so we can't help a lot of people with, with those needs. But we've, we try to help people if, as, as needed but we will never pass out cash <laughs> to people. All right. Um, he says, they pluck the fatherless from the breast and they take a pledge of the poor. So here he's saying they tear away the fatherless 
from the breast. So those, not quite orphans, they've got mothers obviously, otherwise they wouldn't be at the breast, because they tear away the young child from their mothers. And they take a pledge of the poor. Now if you don't understand what pledge is, that was when you would give somebody money, it was their collateral. All right, so we would use the term collateral. Except in their day, it was worse. You know, all right, I pledge you my coat. Okay, give me your coat. I will keep your coat until the time you pay off your, your loan. And you kept their coat. And they needed their coat for night to keep warm. They needed it when it was cold. And you've got it until they pay back their debt. So it would be like you putting up your house for collateral. And while you're paying for your house, you don't get to live in your house. Now, we don't do that kind of stuff, but they did back then. All right, so whatever I gave you as collateral, they kept until I paid, paid off the loan. Uh, we see it sometimes if you, read, if you watch any of the movies from the 1800s, because they were still doing this kind of stuff. What can you give me in pledge or collateral? Oh, your diamond ring. Okay, great. I've got your diamond ring until you, until you pay, that, pay off your loan. And that's the way they did it, and that's the way they were doing it back then. You know, it, so we kind of do things a little different. It's like, okay, what, what are you laying down for as your collateral? Right, fine, you fail to pay, then I'm coming to take your, take your collateral or your pledge. Kind of like a pawn shop today. Kind of, kind of, same type of mentality. Yeah. Uh, except you weren't pawning it, you were actually just, you were borrowed money for whatever. Uh, the Merchant of Venice had that same type of mentality in it that uh, Shakespeare wrote, if you know that particular story where he made his pledge. Uh, you know, for his, for his uh, thing, knowing he was going to get his, you know, ships coming in tomorrow that sank at sea, and then he had to pay off his debt. Uh, so all of these things come in and goes, and they take the pledge of the poor. The poor who can't afford anything, and you're taking away what little they do have. You know, so Job is really painting a pretty bleak picture of these evil people that don't understand that God sees and cares. And he goes, they cause him to go naked without clothing and they take away the sheaf from the hungry. So they go and they take the very shirt off their back, in other words. You know, that would be our term on that. They take the shirt off his back and make him, make him or her leave or, and walk around without, without clothing. And he goes and they literally take the sheaf from, their, from the ones who are hungry. They take away that Sheaf of wheat, uh, they will take everything away from them. And we still have loan sharks and everything that will do this kind of stuff to this day. Pawn shops, you know, you know pawn shops are a little different because you go voluntarily in there, but this is more of the picture of a loan shark. I'm giving, you an interest, I'm giving you a loan at a very high interest rate, and if you don't pay it off, I literally will take everything that you own to, to pay it off. Uh, and this is the picture that he's given. You know, somebody who is taking advantage of people. Oh, you can't get a loan from the bank? You can't get a loan from legitimate people? Your friends won't help you out? I'll, I'll help you out. It'll only cost you everything that you own <coughs> if you don't pay. This is the picture that he's, that he's given. The food off your table, the, the, shirt, off your, the shirt off your back, or, and literally what he's saying, everything, <laughs> everything that you're wearing. But here's, here's what he's talking about. Um, Verse 11, which, take, which make oil within their walls and tread their wine presses and suffer thirst. Men groan from out of the city, and the soul that woundeth cries out, yet God lays not folly to them. They, they are those that rebel against the light. They know not the way thereof, nor abide in the past thereof. The murderer rising up, rising with the light, kills the poor and the needy, and in the night as a, as is, as a, is as a thief. The eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No eye shall see me, and, and disguises his face. In the dark they dig through houses, which they had marked for themselves in the daylight. They know not the, the light. For the morning is to them as evening as, as a shadow of death. If one knows them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. He is swift as waters. Let's stop at 17. So he's going on, he goes... Which make, uh, these, the, these that are taking things away, which make oil within their walls and tread the wine presses and suffer thirst. In other words, these people are not getting to the rewards of their work. They press oil, gets taken away. They, 
they press wine and it gets taken away and they stay thirsty. So he's saying this is how bad things are and this is literally, and I think loan sharks are probably the best thing who will take everything. Every time you get a little bit, they take whatever you have and you don't get to enjoy anything. This is the problem with high interest, extremely high interest loans. I can't afford anything else, but I'm going to get this, this interest rate. It's only, it's only 40%. <laughs> it's only 28%. It's only 30%. The bank is at 10% or 12%, but I can get this one for, <laughs> and it costs everything when you get those. And you're caught in a trap because everything you do goes to pay off the interest. And it's a bad place to be. Our country is definitely at that point where we owe so much in interest we can never pay off the principal because we can't even pay the interest hardly. And everything goes toward interest. And then they keep wanting to add more debt to it to add more interest. There, is, there will come a point where nothing else gets done. And we will be in this same place that being described here. It goes, men groan out of the city and the soul of the wounded cries out, yet God lays not folly to lays not folly to them. Men groan out of the city. They're moaning all the time for all the trials they put in. And this is kind of interesting because it says the, wound, the soul of the wounded or mortally wounded, so those who are dying, cries out. And God lays not folly on them. Why? Well, unfortunately, there is a place where God says you reap what you sow. And if you're going to get involved with the wrong type of people instead of trusting God, there is a time when you're going to suffer. These people who take out loans from loan sharks and high interest loans that they really can't afford so they can have the toys they don't need to take care of everything. And God says, you, you have not trusted in me. You trusted in the, the banks or the loan sharks. Now you get to live with the consequences of it. And it gets hard. I've been there. I've done it myself at times, you know, taking some very high interest rate loans and then going, man, I'll never get this thing paid off. Finally got it paid off. But, you know, you're looking at it and going, everything I go is for interest. You know, when you first buy a house, it's the same thing. You, your first big payment, you know, it's like, okay, $5 goes to the house and the rest of it goes to interest. You know, but that's just the way those loans work. You know, now I'm not the opposite way. Most of my payment goes to the principal and only a little bit goes to the interest. But, you know, it wasn't high interest, but it was still discouraging to see $20 go to pay off, you know, toward the house. This is what he's talking about. They're bound up under all of these things. He goes, and now he goes into further. They that there are those that rebel against the light. They know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the paths thereof. Rebel against the light, God's word, his truth, his doctrine. Now, it's really sad when Christians rebel against the light, but the world almost completely rebels against the light. Especially in our day, there is no morality right now out there where people are living according to God's standards. And there are so many of them that really do believe that, that might makes right. If I'm strong enough to do what, what I want and I can get away with it, then it's right. What is that fueled by? Of course, by the whole evolution doctrine that's being taught to them. As long as you're stronger than the other person, there's nothing wrong. And this has been lived up in many times. Hitler was very much that way. Hey, I'm strong enough. I can do what I want. I'm, you know, I'm the top of the food chain until somebody knocks me down. And he got knocked down. But others, gangs work on the same thing. As long as I'm strong enough to do what I want, then it's right. And we need to be very careful of it because that's not God's standard. Well, God's standard is you do things his way and he is strong enough that if he wanted to enforce it, he could make it all happen. But he gave free will to human, human beings to be able to choose to follow him. And he's strong enough to make us follow him if he wanted to. But he doesn't. He goes, very interesting, he goes, they know not the ways of light and they don't abide in those paths. Right? So they rebel against God they don't know him, and they're not, follow, they're not even wanting to be on the path to follow him. He says, the murder rises up, rises with the light, kills the poor and the needy. And in the night, and the night is as a thief. 
the murderer rises up the the murderer rises up to kill and he goes the thief is at the night you know and this is really true violence happens during the day when people can defend themselves and the thieves break in and burglar your place usually at night I mean it happens during the daytime especially in our day where nobody's home but for the used to be they would be you would be burgled at night and you would be basically accosted in the daytime and uh, not a hundred percent but it, it was in a generality he goes the I also of the adulterer waits for twilight saying no eye shall see me and disguises his face in other words they sneak out back in the days when people cared uh, and they waited till the twilight and then they would get their get their hook up and he goes literally they would wrap their face in a veil and so that nobody would know who they are nobody would be able to figure out and that would be male and female you know trying to hide out who they are and and meet on meet in when the night hadn't time happened it wasn't well you know let's get together in the in the bright sunlight let everybody know what we're doing and then we'll go to the hotel or the or the brothel or wherever you're going and let everybody see who we are so he's saying no these people and in, in Job's day it was very much a fact that you didn't commit adultery uh, it was well known even by the those that, that were not there and he goes and no one shall see me and disguises his face or covers his face in the night they dig they dig through the walls which they have marked or, or locked for themselves in the daytime they know not the light he goes people go about looking for the houses that they can burgle and apparently this is what most burglars do they wander around seeing what's going on they case the case the place to see if anybody's home when they go to bed when they when they get up when they go to work and literally in those days your houses were made out of adobe bricks and stuff they were very easy to dig through they were mud mud houses uh, and he says they literally would dig through the house they would just dig a hole in the, in the back of your back of your house wasn't that hard to, you know, these, these bricks that they made were mostly dried mud. And he goes, they marked their houses. They would look them over. They'd check them out. And, and he goes, and they know not the light. They do not know the truth or do not care about the truth. All right. Um, for in the morning it is to them, even as the shadow of death, if no one and if one knew them they are in the terrors of the shadow of death now this is kind of an interesting statement he goes in the morning and the morning to them is as the shadow of death shadow of death they fear death this is the way humans are in general they fear death death to them is not a good thing you know we talked about a little bit earlier before this you know as a christian i do not fear death now, am I going to go out and do something that's going to cause me to die? No, but I don't have any fear of death. Why? Because we're told to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But without understanding the light, without understanding truth, then I would be terrified of death. As an atheist, I would be, uh, I would be terrified of death. Okay, I'm going to die and I'm nothing. What a terrifying point death becomes. Or if you are in a place where you don't know what's going to happen after death. All right? Am I going to go to purgatory? Have I been good enough to be, be, be go to heaven? Have I done more bad than good and I'm, I don't know where I'm going? Death would be terrifying. But as a Christian, I know where I go because my Savior died for my sins so that I get to go to heaven when I die because of what he did and what he paid, paid for my, my sins. Anything else, so death has got to be a terrifying picture. What happens when I die? Well, I don't know what I'm going to die. And, and it, note there, it says the shadow of death. Yeah, I, I got curious because I know that that's the shadow of the valley of death is mentioned in, in Psalms. The shadow of death is mentioned 19 times in the scriptures. Nine of them are in Job. Where the idea of death is a shadow and to us as the living without knowing Christ and without knowing our destiny death is something that can terrify and it's a shadow that holds over everybody 
And you'll hear people, well, I'm not afraid to die. Well, yeah, you really are. If you don't know Christ, you're afraid to die. Because it is the ultimate existence of something you do not know. I don't know what's going to happen when I die if I'm not in the light. God tells us what it is, and he's the one that created, you know, created life and created death and knows the, what eternity is all about, so we get the answers. But outside of that, there's a terrifying aspect of death. Without being saved and knowing that I am cleansed with God and I am righteous before God, there's a terrifying point of what, what is good enough, what is bad enough. And, you know, all religions outside of Christianity are based on one of two things. Either there is no eternity, which has got to be terrifying to die, because there is nothing. Not quite as terrifying as to not know whether you made it been good enough to go to heaven or not. To know that there is a heaven and hell and not know whether you've been good enough has really got to be terrifying. You know, as an atheist, maybe, you know, it's a waste of your life to, to die, but, but, you know, but it's still a terrifying thing. Okay, it's done. What am I going to do? <coughs> Excuse me. And he goes on, he goes on to say here, uh, verse 17, the morning is to them even as the shadow of death and, and they are in it and those that know them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. Have you ever met somebody who is terrified of the, even the idea of death? And this is what he's talking about. Most people have this instinct. And I keep hearing people go, well, I'm, I'm afraid to die. I don't want to die. Well, I go understand. If you don't know Christ, then I can understand why you're going... And I've even heard the joke, well, I'm not afraid to die, I'm just afraid to know how I'm going to die. Yeah, well, that's a Christian kind of answer, you know, and I'm not really worried about that because God is going to take care of that. You know, and we just need to be able to understand God is in control. And when we're his, death is really just a shadow. And this is what Job is really saying over and over again, the shadow of death. You know, he's even told him, you know, he told his wife, you know, are we going to not, you know, take good from God and not take bad? He understood that, you know, when things are over, I'm going to go before God. And he was looking forward to that. So, um, verse 18. He is swift as the waters. Their portion is cursed in the earth. He beholds not the way of the vineyards. Drought, drought and heat consume the snow waters. So does the grave those which have sinned. The womb shall forget him. The worm shall feed sweetly on him. He shall be no more remembered. The wicked, wickedness shall be broken as a tree. He, he, evilly, he evil entreats the barren that bear not and does not good to the widow. He draws also the mighty with his power and raises up and no man is sure of life. Though it be given him in, in safety whereupon he rests, yet his eyes are on those ways. They are exalted for a little while but are gone and brought low. They are taken in the way as, as all other and cut off the, as the tops of the ears of corn. And if it be not so now, who will make him a liar and make his speech nothing worth? I believe here he's switching over to this is death. Picture of death personified as he's talking. All right. Um, he is swift. He moves quickly as the waters their portion is cursed in the earth. He beholds not the way of the vineyards. He doesn't care about the ways of the vineyard. What, what are the ways of the vineyard? You grow your crops. You, you harvest your crops. You, you, you set some aside to replant, re, uh, and you process the rest. Death doesn't care. You know, and this is very much he's saying. He goes, drought and heat consume the snow waters. You know, we saw that just today. They had... Four, four or six inches of snow when I came up here this morning and now there's no snow. And not that we have drought or even heat today, but it, you know, how quickly waters dissipate. And this is what he's saying. So does the grave those which have sinned. The, the grave conquers. Eventually, the grave takes everybody in, Amer in the world. You know, and this is the, one of the greatest absolute stats you can ever know. 100% of the people alive will die. Plain and simple. 
You know, there are people that I hear them say, well, if I die, well, it's not an if, you are going to die at some point. Outside of the rapture, you are going to die. Every single person will die at some point in time. It is an absolute assurity. All we can do is live our life the way God wants us to do up until the point that we pass away. And this is what he's saying here. The grave will consume those which have sinned. The womb shall forget him. <laughs> when, when somebody dies, the, the womb goes on. You, know, you miscarry, oh, well, it, it's gone. The womb's going to forget, not care. I find this one very interesting. The worm of the maggot shall feed, feed sweetly on him. The body will be eaten up by maggots. Given enough time. Uh, even if they're buried into coffins, eventually the, the worms and, and everything will get into that coffin and consume the body. He shall no more be remembered and the wickedness shall be broken as a tree. So there comes that point, and this is very interesting, he shall no more be remembered or recalled. And I think this is something that I've talked about many times. When somebody passes away, the first we get a little emotional, we make these nice little bereavements and celebrate all the things we can remember about them. After about 10, 20 years, you don't really remember, you remember certain stories about them. After a generation, most of us probably can't remember much about our grandpa, and if we know a grandpa, we can't think much at all about a great-grandpa, and probably nothing about great-great-grandpa unless he was famous. You know, unless he did something famous for us to remember, or infamous, whichever direction, we won't remember them. This is a statement. You know, hey, after, after somebody dies, they're forgotten. And even with historical individuals, unless you really, really study their life, you only know a handful of special things that they did in their life. You know, I think about various ones of our presidents that I know anything about. I'm going, well, you know what? I really don't know them. There's certain ones that I've studied a little bit more than others. But, you know, I just remember certain things about certain people. And the ones, like I said, the ones I've studied, I know more of. But I still don't know everything about their life. And probably don't care about most of their life. And when I pass away, given a generation or two, nobody will know who I am. Probably. I don't think I've done anything that famous to be remember, worthy of being remembered. But the one thing is, God will remember. God will remember all the little things that were done. The things that nobody else remembers, God's going to say, this is where you served me, this is where you did this, this is where you did this, this is what you did, and he will remember. And that's the most important thing. I don't care if nobody remembers who I am. But God will remember. And I don't even know that I've done anything worth remembering at times, you know. But I know that I have. But, you know, at the same time, I also am serving God. I'm not looking to be, get the praise and recognition. And this is what he's saying. He evil entreateth the barren that bears not and does not good to the widow. So again, here's death. The barren evil. And the, the barren literally is the sterile. <laughs> All right? Uh, and he does no good to the widow. Takes away what little benefit the widow had. He draws also the mighty with his power. So here we're going, not only the weak, but death overcomes even the mighty. They die in battle, but they also die, just die, for whatever reason. Sometimes senseless deaths. And it doesn't matter how strong you are, how weak you are, death overcomes in the long run. And he rises up and no man is sure of life. And this is one of the greatest statements on it. There is nobody who is absolutely sure that they're going to be alive the next second, next minute, next hour, next day, next week, next year, month, whatever. It doesn't, we don't know the day that we're going to die. And I've met so many people. They make, I've, I've met people that have 10, 20 year plans in detail. It's like, wow, you're, you're pretty crazy. I mean, you don't even know that you're going to be living you know, the, tomorrow and you've got all these plans. And the thing about this is also every single person that I have ever met that's, that has died and know that, that has died had plans. 
They had doctor's appointments, they had uh, dentist appointments, they had plans to go to, to shopping, pay their bills, whatever, go to work. Everybody had plans. And death steps in, and death doesn't care what your plans are. It is, now is the time. You are coming to the end of your life. Now God knows when that is and all of that, but we don't. He goes, though it be given to him in to be in safety, wherefore he rests, yet his eyes are upon their ways. Death is patient. Death is patient to be where he wants to be when it's time. Now death is, of course, just something God has said, your time is over, but you know, we do picture this idea that there's death waiting right on the corner uh, and going to take our life, and you know, maybe there is something that actually takes our life. I don't know, it doesn't matter. But God says, it's given to him his safety and he rests. We are not to worry about death as, as Christians because when we die, it's God's time. And I love this. I've heard the statement so many times that, that we are perfectly safe until God says it's not time to be safe. It doesn't matter. I am immortal until God says it's time to come home. Now, that means I'm not going to go on and do stupid stuff, but by the same token, I can be very bold to do things that God has told me to do because until it's time to go home, nothing can take my life because God says this is the time. And it doesn't matter. His eyes are on it. He goes, they are exalted for a little while, but are gone and brought low. How many people get to, to look like something, become something? Actors, actresses, singers, athletes. There are many people that for a little while get exalted. But at some point they will be brought down low and taken out of the way as all others and cut off like the tops of the corns. There comes a point no matter how famous you are, how rich you are, how non-rich or famous you are, that death eventually takes you. And... In our day and age, they're trying to, the rich are trying very desperately to extend, extend life and, and find some way to be put into robots or computers or whatever it might be. They're desperately looking to extend life. But God says eventually, it doesn't matter who you are, death comes and takes your life. And this is what Job is saying. Hey, you know, you think you're so smart, but there's... Things are going to eventually, everybody's going to suffer and die. And, and if not now, not, not so now, who will make me a liar? Who will make my speech is nothing? Job goes, you may not have been dying today, but I'm not lying. Eventually, you will die. Who is going to make this speech is nothing? You know, what, what are you all going to say about this? You you. I am suffering. It looks like I'm going to die. And Job feels like he's going to die at this point. He goes, I may be dying, but eventually you're going to die too. Eventually you're going to have all these things happen to you. So, you know, don't be, don't be this way, you know, to, to go out. So he's telling them all of these things. He's making a point on this that all people die. So the first part of this is that, you know, hey, things are happening. You know, the violent the violent people are causing all these problems. They're, they're evil people. They're going to pay the price. But he goes, all of us eventually die. Good and evil people both will die. And it's appointed unto men once to die and after the, the judgment. And this is the whole thing that we're looking at. Everybody will stand before God, either at the Bema seat of Christ for Christians or the white throne judgment seat for those who are non-Christians. And anybody standing at the white throne has one destination, the lake of fire. The rest of us will get our rewards are given to us and taken into heaven the rewards that, we, that we've allowed God to give to us. One, of, one or the other judgment. And so as Christians we die, we go to the Bema seat, we get our rewards. The rest of the world will start by waiting in hell the holding place. And one of the things I've learned by working at the prison, jails are for local crimes and short-term sentences. 
You usually go to jail waiting to go to the court to get sentenced to prison or freedom, which depending on what it is. So when people die without Christ, they will go to hell waiting for the white throne judgment day, in which case then they will be sent to the eternal prison of the lake of fire. And the lake of fire will be death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire along with everybody else who's, who has been judged guilty. And that will be permanent forever. And so this is where we're at. Job is saying death's coming. Death is coming. You're not going to escape death. Death moves quickly when it's time. And other than that, it, he patiently, death patiently waits for the right time. Because death doesn't overtake us without God's permission either. Satan can't touch us. Death can't touch us. Everything takes God's permission. And this is the beauty of trusting the sovereignty of God. Because nothing happens unless he says it happens. That should give us, especially as Christians, great comfort. Nothing can happen to me until God says it's going to happen. Period. Now the lost, it's the same way for the lost, but they don't take comfort in it because there's no, no blessing in God saying, no, now it's time to, time to go. It, uh, it's true for them as well. Nothing happens to them until God says it's time for it to happen. What a place that we are in when we walk with God. To be able to trust him. As we sang this morning, remind me who I am. I love that song because we all need to be reminded who we are in Christ frequently. God, you love me. You care for me. You are my Lord. You are my master. You are my savior. You care for me. Remind me all the things that happen. And, you know, and I've said, and we're going to be doing it again in a future time, but the 52 things that happen to us the, the moment we're saved. You know, we think about salvation as such a simple thing, and it is a simple thing. God says salvation is so simple that any child can decide they need to be saved. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But when we really start getting to know everything that happens to us when we're saved, it gets to be amazing. You know, I am made a child of God. I'm adopted into the family of God. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm forgiven and all the other things that are, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit and all the things that happen to us as soon as we get saved that keeps us. And it's beautiful. For us, for us as Christians, death means nothing because we are guaranteed heaven because of what Jesus did. And that's the beauty of it all. Lord, we ask you to bless us as we go forward about your business. Lord, give us the understanding of who we are. Give us the understanding that you're in control of all things and that death only moves when you say so. And help us to know that you care and love us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. 
If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.